This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Before we start Dreamland today, I'd like to say that we're going to do things a little differently. We're going to be talking to Von Brashler. It's going to be a fascinating conversation, and I hope an empowering one, because the theme of this week's show really is empowerment. And then, instead of continuing in the third half hour with Vaughn, we're going to be talking together. I'm going to be giving you a sensing exercise and doing it with you, and then we're going to do a little more work together in order to strengthen our second bodies, because times are very complex and difficult right now, and boy, we need a little inner peace, don't we, so badly, and ability to project that peace to each other and out into the world, and that's what we will do in the third half hour. I've been doing this a long time, since 1969, and it will be a good experience for everyone, I hope. Today we have Von Brashler back with us. Uh, Von was with us uh, last year talking about people moving into the past and the future, which was wonderfully fascinating. And now he is back with us. He's going to be talking about mysterious messages from the beyond. And I am going to introduce this wonderful adventure that we are about to have together with a, uh, a quote from Frank Joseph's uh, uh, introduction to the book, which I thought summed this all up just absolutely perfectly. We are here today where Rome, Babylon, Persia, Egypt, and many others so alarmingly like ourselves and similarly certain of their guaranteed longevity stood and fell before us at the close of the same predictable cycle of events. This new book is among the best of the last-ditch efforts by modern alternative thinkers to direct us away from that lethal historical pattern by seeking within ourselves for our lost heritage, still intact, but buried under generational levels of disbelief. And even if you don't share that disbelief in your mind, it is still there. It is still part of you because it is so deep within us all. So, Vaughn, welcome to Dreamland, and I'm very glad to see you again. Thank you, Whitley. It's good to be with you. Oh, good. I'm glad. Uh, let's start out. I think the best place to start is with the and many of many of our listeners probably know this story, but I, I think we'd all love to hear you tell it, which is the story of Carl Jung's discovery of synchronicity with the scarab beetle. Because oh, it's yeah. so important this it, 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 to break through this crust of disbelief that is stopping us from moving into higher realms. So tell us that story. Absolutely. Now, Carl Jung, now this, this, this comes from actually Frank Joseph's introduction preface that you're referring to. Uh, Carl Jung more or less coined the term synchronicity. I, I believe he was the first to actually use it. Um, and, and he clearly drew the different difference between um, uh, insignificant coincidences and what he called meaningful coincidences. And I, I know that readers of Frank Joseph would find his latest book extremely interesting to, uh, to discover uh, all the nuances of synchronicity and how it impacts our lives. It most certainly does. As, as Frank often says, that nature, that the cosmos puts 
us in certain situations repeatedly, a pattern of situations, not as, as insignificant coincidences, but meaningful coincidences meant to grab our attention. And as, as Frank would say, were he here, that this is how we learn. Uh, it is the way of, of, of karma, the way that nature aligns us with coincidences over and over again to, to, to understand what we're, we're failing to see with our physical eyes and failing to hear with our physical ears. So I've written a book about seeing with new eyes and hearing with new ears. The um, story I was referring to is the story of, I'll just tell it very briefly so my listeners know what we were talking about. Uh, Carl Jung had a patient who was very, very fixated on the physical world as being the only reality. And it was getting to the point where his ability to to, uh, treat her was literally coming to an end and she was began in one of the sessions to talk about a scarab beetle and for various reasons having to do with her treatment at that moment something began tapping on the window of the treatment room and Jung looked over and there was this large beetle tapping, literally tapping on the window. He opened the window, got the beetle into his hand and said, here is your scarab beetle. It was a scarab beetle in Switzerland. And it changed this woman's life. But we don't all have that chance to be so shocked into a new and more true vision of reality. And what this book is about, what Vaughn's book is about, is going for it, basically, it, by telling stories that are that, that open our minds. And I wanted another shocker for me is the story of Sybil Leake and Ian Fleming. Oh, yeah. What a story. I mean, Sybil Leake, a witch, and Ian Fleming, the professional spy, and goodness knows what else he was, James Bond author. They they not only knew each other, they worked together to tell us about that. Yeah. So, I mean, they maintained, this is the story told by Sybil Leake, not, not the spy master, but <clears throat> she tells the story how they collaborated with yet a third person, which I, I don't think was named. Um, and the three of them would collaborate on, on joint medita- meditations where they would project their thought forms out there to have an impact to end the war. In other words, they projected a, 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 the, the, the shared um, thought form that peace should come in our time and that the, the war should end. Uh, it's not the first time that a group of people have done this. Um, well, I, it might have been the first time. I don't know. The Maharishi Yoga, you practice the Maharishi effect in much the same way. But anyway, uh, yes, the most unlikely uh, coupling of these two people working together, they thought had helped bring the end of the war. Let's now talk about uh, Fung. And by the way, they were that, he's talking about World War II. Uh, yeah, and... Uh, whether or not it helped is a, is a question. I know I'm very careful about trying to do things like organize meditation groups to change the weather and so forth, because yeah. I'm, I'm not absolutely sure that's what it's about. It might be. I mean, it, we, we might be able to do those things, but I think it's, it's much more important to try to build a, 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 a bridge of, sensation and awareness between the physical and non-physical parts of ourselves. But let's, um, let's move along here because there's so much in the book. It's, what this book is, folks, is a, it's a series basically of stories and, and uh, analyses of the, the meaning of these stories and there are meditations and things in it. We'll get to that. Uh, phone calls. 
Yeah. Some fascinating material in the book about phone calls from the dead or from someone. Phone calls that, well, like the Dean Kuntz phone call, for example. Oh, the Dean Kuntz. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. So, so, so Dean Kuntz, when he was a young writer, he received a phone call from a woman who sounded everything like his, his mother, except his mother had, had died. I think it was like three years earlier. So what this voice on the phone was uh, urging Dean to do was to be careful that his father was going to attack him, was going to threaten his life. And of course, that just seemed unrealistic at the time. But in time, it did happen. Dean Kuntz's father, for some strange reason, did, did, did attack him. And as a result, Dean Koontz wrote an essay about that. And then later on, it, it, it appeared in a, in a book, which he called uh, Mr. Murder, a 1993 novel by Dean Koontz. And it was analyzed in Psychology Today by a forensic psychologist, Dr. Catherine Ramslanda. It is um, interesting that... Um, this is not unique in a way. Many people have received calls from the dead or, or voices who warned them from, let's say, the spirit realm. Yeah, uh, I believe, incidentally, folks, I'm pretty sure that Catherine Ramsland was on Dreamland huh. years and years ago. Uh, I, I, I don't remember the exact show date, but I'll... I'll try to find it. Uh, in any case, uh, a lot of people have been on the show over the years, that's for certain. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the next thing that, it, 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 beyond phone calls from the dead, there's also radio. You you touch on radio messages. And, 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 and I might add, by the way, that Dean Kuntz's father was mentally ill and did come after Dean with a knife when he went to visit him. Uh, at, at, just after that warning had been delivered, apparently by Dean's mama. Uh, so uh, that's the sort of thing that that we live without noticing. And in a sense, this show is going to be about noticing uh, because we have to notice this stuff. It's it's very very important that we do so uh, now because if we don't. We stay small. We're like locked in a little room, often one corner of reality. And we stay in that little room. We don't go out. And, you know, somebody maybe every once in a while kind of pulls the door open a little bit and there's a bright light coming in and we say, oh, no, I don't want to see that. But uh, most of us do. But those of us who are trying to get out into that light, we need to help each other and we need to encourage each other. And we need to remind each other that we're brainwashed, even those of us who know that light is there. Now, so let's talk now, speaking of getting in touch, we have to talk about Omar the Tree. Omar the Tree. I love Omar the Tree. So I lived on Mount Hood in Oregon. Thank you for thinking of Omar. He was a neighbor of mine. In fact, I thought his name was Omar because he wrote these children's books that he was telling me about. And they were uh, all written by Omar. And he claimed that he wrote them. So I figured he was Omar. So he said, no, I'm not exactly Omar. Omar tells me the stories and I write them down. (laughs) And I said, really? Who is this Omar? He said, oh, I'll I'll show you Omar. And we're walking through the woods. And and, and he said, well, Omar is is a tree. And I said, really? <laughs> you talk to trees, do you? Uh, and then he sat down on the log and he said, have a seat. He started to tell me about when he first met Omar. I said, well, are you going to show me Omar? He said, oh, we're sitting on Omar. <laughs> Omar is now a log, but he's still a tree and he still tells me stories. And and uh, and I said, you know, uh, how did you come to actually speak to Omar? And he said, well, you have to learn to listen. If you walk through these woods, there are many voices. He says, the question is, can you hear them or do you fail to listen? He said, I just simply listened. 
Aunt Omar told me these stories. There's very simple stories of things that he he has noticed. And, 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 you know, this is a matter of listening to a tree. And people would say, well, he's listening to his own imagination. What do you say to that? Well, wait a minute. Yeah. Before you answer, we have to take a little break for our free Dreamlanders. And uh, I'm just going to write the break time down for my sound man as we go along. And uh, free Dreamlanders, step up, won't you? It's a long, hot summer at Unknown Country. We are really hurting for subscribers. We need you very badly. Uh, so go to unknowncountry.com and click on the subscribe tab. And while you're at it, you might also pick up a copy of Mysterious Messages from the Beyond, which is available on the Dreamland show page, because this is a book that will help you open up your mind and open yourself there are excellent exercises in here that can help you do that. We'll be right back. Have you ever read Communion? Or have you never read Communion? It's out in a new edition. Very powerful, a subtly new cover that reflects the fact that the visitors are now looking back at us, because they truly are. You can get it from the unknowncountry.com store as a Kindle, as a beautiful, sumptuous paperback, or as an unabridged audiobook read by me. It's the first time in the whole life of communion that it has been read in full in audio format, and believe you me, I felt that reading. I put my life, my memories into it, and I trust you can hear it in the voice. I sure felt it while I was reading. So get communion, listen to it, read it. Communion is of central importance to all of our lives. The UNX Network delivers quality paranormal programming Video and audio streams, all kinds of shows. Jimmy Church is there. Dreamland is there in the free version. So go to unexnetwork.com and you'll receive your monthly newsletter, blog access, event notices, and a free digital copy of their quarterly magazine. How can you go wrong? Check it out. unxnetwork.com you can find out more about Vaughn's work, his upcoming work, his past work, by simply going to Amazon and going to the Vaughn Brashler author page. That's where he keeps us up to date about his activities and doings. You have ears, but you do not hear. Chapter 5. You know, there was a very interesting thing in this chapter for me. It is the story of Carlos Castaneda, because I know people who are very involved in Esalen who were actually there when he was writing some of the books at Esalen, and they very much doubt yeah. his bona fides. Tell us why you know that, his, that uh, the teachings of Don Juan, a Yaqui way of knowledge, has a level of serious legitimacy to it because his exercises and his descriptions work. You know, um, he's been described as a novelist. He's been described as a uh, sorcerer, not a spiritual man. It's, but I think he, he knows the, 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 the way of the spirit. <laughs> so I ask you, what is a spiritual man? So I, I, I do know that when I, I worked at a, a publishing house years ago, um, our publisher at that time, bragged that Carlos, as a uh, anthropology grad student, had submitted his very first book, uh, Yaki Way of Knowledge, um, to, to him to publish. And he said, why didn't you publish it? You know, he sold millions of books. And he said, oh, we don't publish uh, uh, dissertations. So, you know, I, I, I think back to that, that he wasn't actually a, a, a California grad student in anthropology. His original book, 
probably had been well researched and thought out. It it it, it seemed to be um, factual in in what he was telling people, and I think that subsequently, perhaps the books were um, were based on the first book. You know, in, in, in that sense, they were novel esque. Yeah, but but it's what's important here, folks, is to let's not throw out the. Uh, the uh, castanated baby with the bathwater, like I've been doing, uh, because that that first book it means it means that he was out there in the field doing the yep. research that the first book is based based on. I did not know that, and I think it's important to yep. understand yep. things like that because it it is it opens our mind to possibilities, and the book is very much worth reading even to this day. So yeah. So if you're going to read any of the Castaneda books, and I've read them all, some more than once, read the first one, you know, because that's where he actually went to Mexico, apparently. And he actually sat on the bench with uh, Don Juan uh, Matus. And um, and he was kind of called out as kind of a silly boy from the city that just wanted to learn about uh, mushrooms and so forth. Right. And and he was taught so much more. He was, he was taught that there was a world of the physical and the world of the spiritual. Uh, which call it the world of tonal and the world of nogwal, and and I I think that there's profound wisdom in the in the teachings of of Don Juan, and and while they're told colorfully as a novel, and I think I think particularly the first book is meaningful. Did you know that um, the uh, the little witches, the don, the donnas that he worked with, the nogwal women? that he worked with, they followed him uh, back or, or they always were in California and they were, they were circulating and they were involved in the community and, you know, and, but they all died mysteriously is the point I'm trying to make. They all died mysteriously. That's so very I think strange. That, he doesn't yeah. say why though, does he? He, he? No, no, no. So, so I think that there was, I think there was a lot of uh, fear as to what he was teaching and a lot of resentment. You know, um, yeah. Don't want to hit, I don't want to hit this too hard, but I think that a lot of people feel threatened by the work of Castaneda. They do. I was one of them. Uh, I, I wouldn't say threatened by it, but I suspected it of fraud, and that was what I found threatening. And I'm going to go back to it because you you taught me that his first book really is what he claims it to be. And that's very important because yeah. uh, this is important work. And uh, now you quote from the Bible a number of times this, uh, I, I, well, I'll just read the quote from Jeremiah, which sums, kind of sums it up. Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have our ears and hear not. And then in Ezekiel, they have ears to hear and hear not, eyes to see and see not. So this seeing and hearing not, what does that mean to us now? And, you know, we're talking from the Bible all those thousands of years ago, but you mentioned at the beginning of this book, that this blindness, soul blindness, I call it, started yeah. almost with the beginning of history. So why yes. is it there, and what is what is it? Well, I mean, you find it in both the New Testament and the Old Testament, these references to basically, you have eyes yet you see not, you have ears yet you hear not, and it, it appears again and again with slightly variation in wording, but basically saying the same thing. And it, it seems to me that it, 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 we're being told again and again and again, uh, use new eyes and use new ears. Things are not uh, as they seem on the surface. The surface world or the shadow world we look at is simply the reflection of light off objects. And what we hear is within a, a very thin range of what we, we hear or what we're conditioned to observe and recognize. There is so much more that we do not hear and so much more that we do not see. Yeah, and now you have some interesting exercises in here about uh, 
about doing that very thing, about that seeing and hearing. Uh, one of them in particular struck me very powerfully. Uh, it's about the, it's the receiving messages from beyond exercise. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because that is so, so basic to this whole process of the, give us an idea. You don't have to explain the whole exercise of the procedure yeah. you use and what role switching means and all yeah. of that. So I, I always think that when you're working in this new area, these new areas, that it's always good to work with someone else, you know, so you can have an agreed upon definition of what you've seen. And you can also work with someone so that you're not like, say, prone to say, oh, this is purely in my imagination. It's just in my head. It doesn't really exist. So I said, I mean, so you work with someone and, and, and I think then you work with somebody maybe in another room and they maybe send you a message and they don't tell you or give you clues uh, in advance what the message would be. And then you come back, you know, there's also exercises in the book, like for remote viewing that are very similar. But, you know, if you work with somebody like this, you know, you can play off each other. You know, you can come back and you say, well, what was I thinking? And say, well, I didn't get a clear picture. Often they come as pictures, right? So, I mean, we tend to think in terms of pictures. I think that's the first clue as to how our inner consciousness truly works. Not with words, not with sounds, but pictures. So you say, this is what I was seeing in my mind's eye. And you say, well, it was something like that. So you practice, you do it again, you do it again, you do it again, you get better at it. And then you switch roles and then the other one uh, becomes the sender and the other one becomes the receiver. And you, this, and you can do this with a group of people. You can have a group of people sending a message, you know, or you can have a group of people as listeners and one person sending to that group the whole message. That's very revealing. This is a way to actually tune our ability to receive messages from beyond. Because they're not all from ghostly spirits. <laughs> they're any spirit, they're any spirit of a non-physical nature, meaning that they're not right there in the room. Uh, sending you an auditory message. It could be somebody across the, the world trying to get your attention. Yeah, and what about groups that meet together? I'm, I refer, for example, to Sybil Leek and Ian Fleming who did this yeah. and try to, to reach and influence others. Uh, yeah. it, it, can you pick up on that? Yeah, I, I'm very fond of the, the, the inclusion of the Maharishi effect. The Maharishi Yogi, when he was working in this country and opening up so many eyes, he talked about a type of meditation that, uh, well, he called it transcendental meditation, which is copyrighted, by the way. And and transcendental transcendental meditation to him went was that his group of people would all transcend time and space by sending messages through time and space, anywhere, anytime, with impact. So that, so in, in this sense, he had a group of people working together to send a shared conscious thought form with impact and clarity and directing it toward a specific place and time and with a specific effect. Now, what's interesting about the Maharishi effect and how he asked a group of people to try to bring about peace in the world by, he said, I think it was like 1% of, the, of, of you could do this. Well, he, he, he did, you know, he did have people who followed his example and replicated these experiments, if you will, around the world and with great results. And this is how they measured it. It would have a group of people projecting thought forms collectively, shared thought forms, and projecting them and what they projected was bringing about peacefulness. And they were very specific, like peacefulness here in this community. And the way they measured it, interestingly enough, was by analyzing the, the drop in crime rates in that community subsequent to their actions. So this, these Maharishi effect um, copies have been uh, well studied and they've been uh, duplicated around the world 
and they've been shown to be effective. And, you know, folks, one of the mistakes that is being made by a lot of meditation groups right now is that we're trying to, or we're not, I'm not doing it, but trying to change the physical world. In other words, trying to bring rain, trying to stop floods and fires, trying to stop wars. And this is, this is a, something that's very, very difficult to do in a world that has fallen into the trap this one is in. What you need to do is to try to reach the minds of people. You must try to reach their minds and influence them that way. Uh, and not attacking them. I got an email from someone who wants to, uh, this is, there's a whole lot of young people who are just getting into this in their teens and twenties. And, um, got this email saying, we're going to, our group is going to get together, Mr. Strieber, and we are going to try to put a curse on Joe Manchin because of what he did to our generation yesterday. This was, this is being recorded uh, a little bit before it's going to air, but this is so I'm talking actually about last week at this point. But in any case, uh, and I, I look back, don't do that. You love this man. Give him the energy of love and give him a desire to want you to thrive. This will work. This will change things. You can't change things very well by, by resorting to what amounts to black magic. And anytime you're trying to hurt somebody, it's black magic. So, yeah. Okay, let's go on. Um, now, let's. You have some fascinating material in here. There's so much in this. It's a. It's not a thick book, folks. Look at that. Oops. There. There we go. It's not a thick book, but there's so much in it. Vaughn, you have you have really concentrated this. But let's talk about idle consciousness and wayward thoughts because we're sort of on that topic right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think most of us actually do, well, we don't totally understand the, the, the impact of our conscious thought forms, but we, we tend to think of our thoughts as being idle thoughts within our, our minds. In other words, they're just pure imagination. They exist only to ourselves, and they don't have much importance. They're just like musings, let's say. Uh, no, no impact, no direction, no outward motion of these thoughts. They are contained then within ourselves as idle thoughts, and and as a result, uh, people who have strong emotional and mental energy will scattergun their conscious thought forms everywhere. They'll bounce off the walls. It's like spraying bullets into a crowd, caring not where they fall. So we've all walked into a room and felt the effects of this. These are angry people. These are sad people. But it falls on people who don't have any relationship or knowledge of what the real message was. They're just, it's emotional, mental energy that's spewed uh, everywhere. In other words, the conscious thoughts we're not treated properly, we're not honored, we're not focused, we're not directed with impact. We're going to take a little break now, folks, for the free Dreamlanders, and we will be back with Von Brashler in just a moment. Where is the unknown country? Is it out there? In the stars? Or is it also somewhere else is it in us in you unknown country join us today go to unknowncountry.com right now and join us join the questions join the search join the adventure unknowncountry.com 
There's no place like it in the world. This is Whitley Strieber. Listen to me now from June of 2010 talking to Alan Lammers about an incredible thing that happened to him on the island of Sulawesi in Indonesia. Here you are in South Sulawesi in the little town in the district of Sandu Batu. You were, what happened? You were told something rather strange. Well, we were told before we went, um, like my, my friends that I worked with in, with the NGO, they told me that when you pack, because it kind of happened by accident, I went out to buy a raincoat. It rains quite a bit in this part of the world. And so I went out and I bought a yellow raincoat. And my friend said, I'm sorry, you can't, you can't take that to Walla Walla. And I said, well, why not? And he says, well, it's the, you can't wear that color. So anyways, excuse me. So I thought, okay, well, what colors can I wear? They, they said, well, you can only wear black or white. You cannot wear any bright colors, no bright green, especially no yellow. And, you know, that's all you should bring. And I, and I said, well, what would happen? And they said, well, uh, people disappear. You will find the rest of that story, and it is brain-bending, in the June 5th edition of Dreamland, June 5, 2010 edition of Dreamland in the unknowncountry.com archive. This archive is one of the richest of its kind in the world, probably is the richest of its kind in the world, filled with extraordinary shows, of which this show is certainly one, this show with Alan Lammers. You will never have heard anything like it. It does what Dreamland is here to do. It opens your mind to the fact that we live inside a hidden reality that we prefer not to acknowledge, but not here. Here on UnknownCountry.com, we do acknowledge it. We live in it and we love it. Subscribe today. You can't go wrong. Go to UnknownCountry.com right now and get started. To give an idea of the actual power of this, we can go to a scientific theory known as the Roper-Ripple theory. And when I say this, I mean this, this connection at a subtle level of communication. What is the Roper-Ripple theory? Yes, I, I think it's more commonly studied by p students of communication. Yes. But it, it, it is measuring um, the, the effects that there, you will have on others as you attempt to communicate. In other words, you create a ripple. Now, not all messages fall upon willing ears. Sometimes the messages will be sent out. They'll have a certain uh, direction and impact in my in, intended, but they will just bounce off because they're 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 not. We do not in, we do not take them in. We do not internalize the message. The Roper Ripple Theory says that there are many uh, ripples of influence. As, as messages go out, they create a rippling effect across, like uh, a wave effect. The best way to, to combine this with physics is to think of wave theory. Now, wave, the waves are going out and going out, and then the waves are created by ripples, and these various ripples will be augmented by other ripples. And sometimes there are cross ripples that will change the direction of them. And sometimes they'll be muted by uh, something coming the other, from the other direction. But we have to be conscious of the fact that all these ripples are going out and having an effect in joining with other ripples. So we're all influencing each other by our communication, which can be nonverbal, but simply conscious thought forms transmitted uh, non-verbally and we yeah and 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 what happens often is 
since I've done been doing this, of course, for years, uh, you transmit something to someone that you want to reach, and nothing happens. They don't hear you. Mm-hmm. And this is a very critical issue because mm-hmm. we have because we're soul blind, our senses, our subtle senses, the second body senses, mm-hmm. are dulled. And uh, you know, someone who's interested in driving around in Maseratis and going on cruises and all that stuff and is primarily very focused on the material world is not gonna hear until they're desperate. And what's happening now in the world is people are going to get desperate because the environment is really in trouble and it's going to start affecting lives much more than it has in the past. So we have to be ready, folks. And and that's why during the third half hour, we will go through and do, I will do a meditation with you that shows you how to be ready. So now, this is, I want to get into some of the mysterious events. Talk mm-hmm. about, let's talk about the mysterious phone calls in Wheaton. I thought that oh was God. such a oh story, my word. Well, well, that's one of the things that changed my life. Um, so I'm, I, I just started in Wheaton at the national headquarters of the Theosophical Society in Wheaton. And I, I had replaced the man who was actually irreplaceable. He kind of co- co-founded the, the Quest Books at that time, the Theosophical Publishing House. And uh, Mr. Pettison had been there for decades. But he was elderly, and he had been looking for a retire- uh, someone to replace him in retirement. So I finally said, yes, I, I will do it for a, a little bit of time. It would be interesting. So I came there to live and to work. And um, on, the th- on the TPH publishing house building I had my office down the hall from where I lived and it faced south and it was hot and I had all these plants going around and around and around in the hot sun and one day in a summer afternoon the phone rang and it was a man who sounded very elderly and had a very thick Indian accent as though he were from calling from India and yet on this landline it was completely clear as though he was sitting in front of me and he kept saying over and over with with little time for me to uh, interact with him sir i have called you to invite you on a lightning tour of india i make these these tours of india in the late august or early september every year and um, i want you to come with me on our tour it would change your life forever and I, I started to say, well, I've just started this job. I'm very flattered you would think of me, but I cannot go. And he keeps saying over and over how wonderful these tours are. And then I say, well, you must have been calling for Mr. Pedersen. I, I said, I, who are you, sir? He does not answer this question. He, he keeps talking about how wonderful the tours are. So finally, the, the, the line goes dead. And then a few days later, I get the same phone call, and he says the same thing. And I, I make the same comments. Who are you? You must be trying to reach Mr. Pedersen. He no longer is in this office. Why did you call me? And he says, I have called you particularly, sir, because I think this would have great impact on your life if you would come with me on a lightning tour of India. And I, Again, the line goes dead. So... At that time, I go across the street to the main building and I talk to different people that I think have played a prank on me. And I say, well, you know, I got these calls from India and I'm looking for them to smile or look away or some kind of telltale sign. I get nothing like this. In fact, I get these odd looks like you're crazy. You know, I'm, I'm the new guy and I'm obviously insane. Yeah. So I, so I talk to the lady who is the switchboard operator there. Donna and she, she said, uh, I, I tell her when I got the call and the man has a thick accent and, and can you tell me anything about, you know, switching the call over to me where it seemed to come from or did he tell you it? And she said, Vaughn, I, I received no such calls. This man called your extension directly. He must have known your, your extension number. And I said, but Donna, he called it twice. 
And he said, well, then he wanted to speak to you twice, didn't he? He said, I can't tell you anything more. And I walked, he, she walks away. So he calls again and the same thing. And he says, well, sir, I must tell you one thing. If you are unwilling to come with me on my lightning tour of India, I will tell you one more thing that will change your life forever. He said, learn to meditate in the early morning light beside running water. And I said, well, I, I, we had this pond in the back, you know, and I could spread out a blanket. He says, no, you must do this or you must spread out a blanket. You must, you must meditate in the early morning light beside running water. He says, because you will learn to move in the light, live in the light, and be in the light. I said, live in the light, move in the light, and be in the light. He said, you will be one with the light. So I try this, you know, you know, he hangs up and I try this and I spread out. I remember I had one of those uh, bicentennial yellow blankets and I spread it out in the back of our grounds there, a beautifully maintained lawn by our fountain. And the pond had a fountain. And I sat there and I would get up in the morning and I'd, and it was profound. It was profound. I, I felt absolutely transformed. Formed, I feel like I was moving somewhere, you know, light all around me. It was wonderful. And I got to thinking like, well, what the heck? Who is this guy? And I thought, well, he must be famous if he makes these lightning tours of India and he knows all this. So I go into our bookstore and I, I, I talk to the bookstore manager. She, that occupies the first floor of the Theosophical Publishing House. And, and the Quest bookstore manager says, well, uh, it was, uh, what are you looking for? And I said, well, I'm looking for books on meditation, meditating in the light. And she's, well, I, all the meditation books are over there. And I said, well, I'm looking for the good stuff. I'm looking for the, well, she said, what are the good, what's the good stuff? I said, the real stuff written by people in India that know what they're talking about. She said, Oh, she said that those are in the in the corner over there. I said, okay. And so I walked down there. And as I walked down this corner, there's a book face out you know, on one of those easels, and it's a book about um, meditating in the in the light. I said, huh? I said, this is what he was talking about. So I flipped the book over and I started to read about this man who led these lightning tours of India in the fall. Wow. And, and that, Yeah, and at the end it says when he was born, and it lists the year he died, which was two years before I got any of these phone calls. My word, Mon, that's so, such a story. So I adapted that, and later on I, 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 I knew a woman who was dying of cancer. And we started using these exercises to actually move beyond the physical plane into the subtle energy planes. And we would, uh, we would notice a different coloration of each plane we would go through. And we would do this together. We would do these meditations together. And she had no real training in meditation. And I was adapting this man's training and moving in the light. And I had moved her bed close to a window so the light shone upon her. And I had taken a little teeny um, uh, fountain, you know, that you can sit on a desk with running water. We did this. And it seemed to work. And, and, and she got to where she was very comfortable at this. Now, this woman had not spoken for weeks. She was getting progressively worse and worse to where she could just howl like a dog. She had brain tumor. Oh, and, and I said, Deb, can you, you're doing very well. I said, can you do this on your own? And she said the first words to me she had spoken in weeks. She said, yes. And she squeezed my hand and smiled. And I went to the head nurse, who was also the head nun, named Sister Luke. And I said, Sister Luke, Deb is ready. She's ready. She said, good. That's why she's here, to get ready. And the next day, Deb died. And people said, well, Deb is gone. I said, no, Deb, Deb is free. Fred, Deb walked out of here on her own. She, don't worry about Deb. She'll do just fine. 
Ironically, though, Sister Luke herself later died at a young age in a hospice of brain cancer. And ironically, the young woman in the bookstore in Wheaton died at a young age in hospice care at home of brain cancer. Synchronicity. Yeah, a grim synchronicity in this case. Yeah. Well, so the thing that's so fascinating is, oh, tell us the title of the book. That I uh, oh the 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 uh, the, uh, the sage the, yeah the meditation book that you found about the, the you know the, I can't I can't even remember it. it's so long ago you know so long ago so well long if you ago. do remember it folks we'll put yeah. it in the Dreamland show yeah. page yeah and see if you can remember it uh, the you have uh, talking about being a better receiver. I think it would be a good time for us to talk about that. But for the Free Dreamlanders, not until after this break. And we're going to ask you to do some things. Uh, we're going to ask you, and, and I, mentioned, I want to mention this to the subscribers too. Dream, uh, communion is available in paperback in, on Amazon in, uh, as a Kindle. And as an audiobook, the first time it has ever been read from beginning to end. And you can get it on Amazon. Von Brashler is available on Amazon too, in that you can keep up with him and his work on his Amazon author page, his new book, Mysterious Messages from the Beyond, which I think you will agree by now is really a, a wonderful journey. We will be right back. Have you ever read Communion? Or have you never read Communion? It's out in a new edition. Very powerful, a subtly new cover that reflects the fact that the visitors are now looking back at us because they truly are. You can get it from the unknowncountry.com store as a Kindle, as a beautiful, sumptuous paperback, or as an unabridged audiobook read by me. It's the first time in the whole life of communion that it has been read in full in audio format. And believe you me, I felt that reading. I put my life, my memories into it. And I trust you can hear it in the voice. I sure felt it while I was reading. So get communion. Listen to it. Read it. Communion is of central importance to all of our lives. Well, before the break, uh, for Free Dreamlanders, the subscribers did not have to endure a break. We were talking, getting ready to talk about becoming a better receiver. And this is very important because one of the things that will happen so many times, people say to me, Whitley, uh, you know, my wife died and I can't, it's not like what happened with Annie. I'm not getting a thing. And I would always say, are you sure? And Vaughn, why don't you expand on that? Because you've got some powerful stuff in here about being a better receiver of these subtle messages from the beyond and from those we love very often. Most of us like to talk better than we like to listen. And I always think of people that want to speak and contact their dead loved ones. And I always say, you know, spiritually speaking, do you really want to drag them back? I mean, they've kind of moved on, don't you think? And keep bragging, dragging them back. But on the other hand, if they want to say something to you, be willing to listen. I always say, just be willing to listen. You know, have your ears on, your, your inner ears. So I, I, think that, I think that typically when people have lost someone dear to them, uh, they'll, be con they'll be contacted one way or the other, perhaps, by their dearly uh, departed, probably within three days. It seems to be quite common. And they'll appear to them in a dream, which will be a lucid dream, very profound, very real. 
and they'll say something very meaningful. It won't be just a memory that you're resurfacing in your sleep, but a, a lucid dream. They'll appear to you in a daydream, or they'll, they'll seem to be speaking to you, and you'll hear them in your head. You know, And I think it's very important to listen you know, because they might have something to say. They need closure in God knows we need closure. So they'll, they'll come by and they'll say, they'll say something, you know, it might be something personal. It might be just touching you and then they'll move on and, and be ready for that. Be, be ready to listen, you know, listen, 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 as my teacher always told me, three things you must know, Vaughn, listen, listen, listen. <laughs> he even wrote a book so I wouldn't forget it. Listen, listen, listen. Uh, it's really true. You know, you, you need to listen. One of the things that happens to people is they listen and they hear, but then they're not sure if they're hearing themselves or the yeah. loved one. How do yeah. you tell? Yeah, I always say, you know, with it, if it's within your frame of reference, it's going to be stored in this little pocket calculator we call our, our mental, our brain, our physical brain. And, and that's where most of our dreams will come from. They'll just be a rehash of what you've encountered and thought about and, and what you're playing with inside your head. It's a rerun of sorts. And maybe you're running the tape back backwards or sideways or whatever. So, but, you know, um, th there is, there is a different, different way of, of, of knowing. And that is it, whether it rings is something totally new that you've never heard or, or stored in your memory before. You have no memory da data. It is fresh information. It is, it is not ring is, is something that you have stored and are resurfacing. That's a memory, you know, and we, and, and then we, we tend to, you know, confuse the two, but if it, if it's totally new, it's totally new information, uh, then it's probably, you know, a very legitimate new communication that you're receiving and not simply a playback tape from your memory. Yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. I've had tremendous trouble trying to, uh, and had a diary on the website, on our website before she died. And she came back a number of times to write more and it was real hard for me because I was I didn't trust myself but now I do trust myself quite you know if she comes back again she hasn't been she hasn't come often because like you said she's moved on she's got mm -hmm. other things to do although as a teacher and she this is a long story that my listeners all know she does in her lives all the time and we all know how we know that because we she had a an, she created an avatar before she died. And when you see this white moth in your life in a strange situation, you know it's Anne, and you just have to sit and open your mind, and you will get into contact with her. Uh, now, I would like to talk now another about another phone call situation, because I'm, I suspect, I've never had this happen, mm. but I suspect that some of my listeners probably are nodding their heads and saying, yes, this, this, I've had strange phone calls too. This is the one about the brother's calls to his family after death. Wow. Frantic calls, you say in the book. Yeah. This is hard to write because the family wanted to tell, to tell me the story and they told it to me quite um, in detail. And it seemed to be important for them to tell me. And then when I said I was going to uh, put it in the book, they wanted, they didn't want any part of it. So I changed all their names. So I will say. I can understand is, their concern. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you, for a lot of reasons, you know, most people would, you know, anyway, anyway. So this is a family on the, on the West coast, I'll say. And uh, they were well known to me. And the, 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 the brother and the sister had never really gotten along. They fought as children. They called each other names and they would fight. And it didn't get any better as they got older. When the brother died, he died out of state in the Midwest. And he died. And uh, as soon as he had died, his sister on the West Coast started getting phone calls. Now, 
these were not interactive phone calls. These were calls that were left on her uh, messaging at home, her home phone. And she had these these recordings. And she would be at work and she'd come back and she'd play. And it sounded like a crazed, you know, dead brother. And he's screaming at her and calling her names and names that she had not heard since they were children. And it's clearly, it's to her mind, her, her brother, but he's just died. So she plays the tape for her husband, who happens to be a newspaper journalist. He says, that's your brother. <laughs> you know, and, and, and they don't believe in any of the spiritual stuff, but she says, that's your brother. And uh, she plays it for her two adult daughters. And they say, oh, yeah, that's our uncle. Absolutely. Uh, how could that be? She said, oh, I don't know. Well, she got another call, and he's screaming again. And then the body of the brother in the Midwest is shipped to a, a crematorium, and he's cremated. And then... She gets a third call. She comes home. She plays it. And the voice on the phone sounds again like her brother. And he's yelling, I'm burning. I'm burning you. You know, B-I-T, unmentionable words. How could you do this? I'm burning. I'm burning. It's hot. And then nothing. Well, so her husband hears this. And he says, oh, my gosh. And they, they learned that he's been cremated. And he said, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so a running, a, a running a, 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 a narration, right? So, so he, being a journalist, he goes to his computer and he writes it all down in a Word document, word for word. And then he notes what was said and when they got the messages and what every, everyone who had heard it and their comments, like a journalist would. And for several days, it would be there when they go to listen to messages. And then one day, the messages, all three messages were gone. And they ask, who, who erased the messages? Well, nobody would claim that they had re erased the messages. They were all confused. So the husband, the journalist, he contacts the phone service the phone company and he wants a record of these calls that came on these dates because remember he's written down rotations right. yeah so so he knows when the calls came in and they said they have no record of any call coming in from that uh at that time on those times no record whatsoever now um this seems to me like a lot of um these so-called spirit phone calls where there is actually no phone number, they're somehow just getting to you, and 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 it really doesn't matter if your phone is connected or not. It's going to ring, and they're going to speak to you. And uh, I remember there was one that that came through, and it was like zero 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 zero, you know. And another one came through with five 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 five. But moreover, you know, you'll pick up the phone and it won't even identify where it's coming from. And it doesn't really matter because they're not really using a phone, are they? You know, they're... No, are, they're, or, they're, it's something else is happening. Yep, yep, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Now, the, we, we're get, getting toward the end of our time together. We've got some time. Uh, let's talk about assisting spirits to move on. I have a personal interest in this because i've had a lot of spirits show up and and incontrovertibly i'm not going to go into all the stories i probably already told them on this show that where a spirit shows up and needs to move on i thought you had some very wise material in your book about this helping spirits move on yeah i i think well i actually had some training and working with a woman who deghosted houses. <laughs> and um, then, of course, there's my spiritual training. And I think the two of them are, you know, completely in line in, 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 in recognizing the, um, the importance of spirits moving on. Yes. 
Yeah, and 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 helping them, not hindering them by keeping them around and asking them questions like, "How does it feel? What's it like?" Living vicariously off of this, you know, almost entertaining quality of of looking into the great beyond, which is cruel. You know, I mean, they need to transcend. They need to transform and move on. So I think that I think it's important to help them to move on, uh, to encourage them if you can uh, to move on. Now, it's not important that you cannot see them. You know, the whole thing about mysterious messages and, and, and sending or receiving conscious thought forms is that you can get in touch with someone by projecting your conscious thought forms. You align yourself with them. You, you, what you do is you visualize them inside your mind's eye. You visualize them. You see them, and then you pro, you project the thought to that image. And it's like a map. It's like an unerring map. It's like, I call it karmic attraction, magnetic attraction. What it really is is electromagnetic attraction. That's what consciousness is. So you're actually reaching out and, and, and t- touching them. So what my, my teacher always said was, sit with them. Encourage them to move on. Tell them, you may be confused. You may be reluctant. You may be afraid. You may want to stay here, you know, but, you know, you need to move on. So I always like to think that our higher form, our spiritual life essence moves on. But what's left behind is kind of our lower self. It's like our emotional body or memories. It is our emotional baggage. It is our lower mental mind frame. This is what's left behind. And it, and it, it it's like locked, you know, imprisoned here. In a sense, it's like time locked. And it's important, I think, to encourage these people to move on uh, by, by encouraging them. Uh, my, my teacher would certainly want, want it said that way, and I think she was absolutely right. Von Brashler, Mysterious Messages from the Beyond. You can find out more about Von's work and what he's up to by going to his author page on Amazon. It's a wonderful interview, Von. Very empowering. And subscribers, in the final half hour, we're going to work together, you and me, we're going to do the sensing exercise, and then we're going to do a little bit of work with our light bodies that you probably haven't done before, or maybe some of you have. And we're going to be doing that more often on the show and also in the subscriber area, because it's very important right now. We've got to do these things to for our own sake and for the sake of our world. And Vaughn, I would like to thank you very much for having been with us on Dreamland. It's a real pleasure and a joy to have you every time you come. And subscribers, do look back, and there's some other wonderful Ron Brashler shows on Dreamland. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host. And I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.